Chapter 26 of Small Souls by Louis Couperus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The old woman walked with slow steps along the paths of the garden, carefully examining each separate rose with her grey eyes. Her legs seemed to move with difficulty along the narrow gravel paths that wound through the front garden, and her frame was bent as though deformed. In a wickerwork chair on the veranda sat the tall old figure of the husband, his ivory forehead bulging above the pages of the newspaper which he held in his large shriveled hands. Evening fell. A nameless grey melancholy fell from the pale summer sky over the country roads, along which the peaceful villas faded into the shadows of their gardens. The old woman looked up at the sky, looked out over the road with her hand shading her eyes, walked on again, slowly and painfully, carefully examining each separate rose. Then she went back to the house. It's getting cold, Hendrik. Don't stay out too long. No. But the old man remained sitting where he was. The old woman went in, wandered through the sitting room and the dining room. She passed her pocket-handkerchief lightly over the furniture, looking to see if there was any dust on it, and, as the parlour-maid had cleared the table, she pulled the cloth straight, put a chair in its proper place, smoothed away a crease in the curtain. She went into the conservatory, looked into the back garden. Her sad grey eyes gazed out into the grey melancholy of the darkling night. The wind rose, moaned softly through the topmost twigs of the trees. The old woman looked round at the old man, but he remained sitting in the wicker chair, lost in the great pages of his newspaper. Don't catch cold, Henrik, she repeated gently. I'm coming. But the old man remained sitting where he was. Now the old woman wandered down the passage listened at the door of the kitchen and of a small back room. Voices sounded, the voices of the maids and the butler. Then she went up the stairs, wandered through the bedrooms, wandered through the empty spare rooms with a sigh, because they never came. Everything was neatly kept, hushed and quiet as in a house that lacks life. The old woman, bent and tottering, sighed, was restless. She wandered again through all the bedrooms, and wearily made her way downstairs again, crossed the passage, entered the living room. The old man was seated there now. The windows into the garden were closed. He had folded up his paper, and, seated by the window, was still gazing out to where the road of villas grew darker and darker in the chill dimness of the late summer evening, now beginning to rustle with the rising wind. Then, Stifling a sigh, the old woman sat down at the other window, wearily folded her hands, placed her tired feet side by side on a stool. The room grew dark, the windows turned grey, just outlined by the curtains. The road was more and more blurred in the dimness of the windy night. A grey melancholy reigned without, and a grey melancholy reigned within. With those two old people each sitting silent at a window, lonely and forlorn, drearily sunk in their own thoughts. They sat thus for a long time,
quietly, without a word. Then the old woman said, It is Henry's birthday tomorrow. Yes, said the old man, he will be thirty-nine. And they said nothing more, and stared before them. Then the old woman grew restless again, and rose from her chair with difficulty, hobbled through the room, holding on by the chairs as she went, and rang the bell. Light the gas and bring in the tea, Pete. The butler lit the gas, drew the curtains and brought the tea. The old man sat down at the table with a book, and the light fell harshly on his ivory forehead and his blue-shaven face. His gnarled, bony hands cast large shadows over the book, turned the pages at regular intervals. Here's your tea, Hendrik. The old man drank his cup of tea. Then the old woman also took her book and read. Slowly, in the course of years, she had read her Bible less and less, because she was wicked after all, and because she had never resigned herself to the sacrifice which she had made, which it was her duty to make before God and man. Then she chanced on a wonderful book, which described what happened to people after death, and this book she read every evening but she was unable to read this evening. As a rule, the old pair read over their cup of tea till ten o'clock in silence, and then got up and went to bed, but the old woman could not read this evening. Her aching feet fidgeted on the stool, her bent body moved in vague discomfort, and she asked, still casually, nervously, "'Will Henry be thirty-nine tomorrow, Hendrik?' Yes. She knew quite well that he would be thirty-nine, but she wanted to say it again, wanted to talk of her son. For fifteen long years she had not seen him, and his birthdays, the anniversaries of the day on which she had borne him, her only child, had passed while he was very far away, too far for her to reach him and take him in her arms. For many years she had hoped, Now it will come. Now it will come nearer. But it had not come nearer, until suddenly it was very near, until suddenly it was there. Now it was here, after long, long years, and yet it was not here, it was far away. She could not read, got up, went out of the room across the hall. The old man stared after her, went on reading and it was as though her disquiet kept increasing, as though a voice, one of those voices of which she had read in that strange book, said to her, Go, go tomorrow. Never had a voice spoken so plainly to her, the old woman, and as it were ordered her to go, to go tomorrow. She was very old in years, in movements and in feeling, and she never, never travelled. She lived quietly in her house beside the country road, summer and winter alike, and sometimes she went for a little drive in the neighbourhood. Beyond that she no longer went, for she was gouty and full of aches and pains which bent her withered back. For years and years she had not travelled, had not sat in the train which, for years she had heard whistling at the station, sometimes even heard rumbling. And now the mysterious voice so plainly and insistently commanded, Go! Then she went back to the room, 
sat down, and this time was unable to stifle her sigh. She sighed. The old man heard, but did not know how to ask her why she was sighing. For years, for long years, there had been so little said between them. Only now, this spring, when Henry's letter came, they had spoken, but not much. A couple of days after receiving the letter, the old man said, I will write to him, and that was really the only thing that had been said. But they had not lived so many years in silence, side by side, without learning to hear each other speak, though both were silent. They knew without speaking what either said, silently in his heart. Only now, though the old man was thinking of Henry that night, he did not know what his wife was saying to him, silently, without words, in that one sigh. And this was because he did not read that strange book, had never heard the strange voices. Therefore, he sought for a word to say, and found it very difficult to find a word, but at last he did speak and said, simply, What is it? He did not look up, went on reading his book as he spoke. Then the old woman's aching feet fidgeted still more nervously on their stool. The bent shoulders shivered more nervously under their little black shawl, and she began to cry softly. Come, what is it? He pretended to go on reading his book, because talking and crying were so difficult, and because it was easier to pretend to go on reading. The old woman said, because his old voice had spoken gently, I should like to go to Henry tomorrow. Now they were both silent, and the old man went on reading, and the old woman, waiting for his answer, ceased crying, ceased moving her feet, her shoulders. After a silence, the old man said, Take Pete with you then, to help you. She nodded her head, and the tears flowed from her eyes while she drew her book to her, inwardly pleased that he had said so much, and said it so kindly. She sighed once more, this time with relief, and read on. But her eyes did not see the words, because she was thinking that tomorrow she would be going with Pete, the butler, in the train, in which she had not been for years and years, to the Hague, to see Henry. Go, the voice had said. Go, the voice had commanded. And she was going. It had come at last, come so near that it would be there tomorrow. Not that Henry was coming to her, but that she was going to Henry, to kiss him, to forgive him. And she read on, did not see the strange words which told what happened to people after death, but wept softly, inaudibly, over her book, wept for still contentment and peace, because he had spoken to her and had said, Take Pete with you then, to help you. When it was ten o'clock, he closed his book, stood up, and she would so much have liked to ask him if he too would come with her tomorrow, in the train, to Henry, because it was not so difficult, and Pete could take the tickets. But she did not ask him, because she knew that it was even more difficult for him than for her to travel and go by train, that train which he also for years had heard whistling and sometimes rumbling. 
She did not ask him because he would certainly refuse, and without a doubt he heard within himself, but she hesitated to ask him, for he said, gently, I shall not go, but give him many good wishes from his father. Then, stiffly and with difficulty, he bent his tall figure and his ivory forehead, went to her and kissed her on the brow, and she took his gnarled hand and pressed it gently. Then he went upstairs and she rang the bell. The butler entered. Pete, she said, hesitatingly and shyly, and she blushed before the butler. I am going tomorrow to the Hague, to Mr. Henry. It's his birthday, and I should like you to take me there. The man looked up in surprise, smiled. Very well, ma'am, as you please. And as she went up the stairs, she tried to hold herself more erect. She felt younger. End of chapter 26